Welcome to the Redirect Podcast. My name is Abigail Hewins. And I'm Emily Rojas. The Redirect Podcast is a show where we shift the conversation back to books. We discuss themes from some of our favorite books and how those themes show up in real lived experiences. On today's episode, we're discussing the iconic queer romance novel turned Amazon Prime original movie, Red, White, and Royal Blue. But first, if you've been enjoying the podcast, we would humbly ask that you support us in a few very simple ways. First, if you haven't already, I would love for you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and just let us know that you're loving the show. We'd also love for you to follow us on Instagram at Redirect Podcast if you haven't already. And if you have, um, boost us on your Instagram. Share our posts on your stories. And finally, if you really, really like the show, we'd love for you to share it with a friend. Sharing our show with a friend is by far the best way to help grow our community of book-loving nerds. Exactly. And who better to, or what better episode to bring them in on than this one where we talk about this book that is, I have never seen, I don't know, I've seen so much of it. It's like top tier of amount of times I've seen it talked about on the internet. Well, yeah. So I think, so you and I both just, just recently read it. And right. I think part of the reason I didn't, there's a couple of reasons I didn't read it. And I would be curious until now, because it came yeah. out in 2019. I, I didn't read it one because I was like, boys, liking boys, love it. But how am I going to see myself in this? Yeah. Like, I'm glad this exists, but like, am I going to get this? Where yeah. like, I read Casey McQuiston's other book, um, One Last Stop, w- which is two girls. And I was like, oh yeah, I could, even though I'm not a lesbian, I could see myself in this. Yeah, um, exactly. But anyway, I mean, we've talked about this before, but then we've also been on a streak of really liking male queers. <laughs> so maybe we're wrong. Maybe no, we, we are wrong. We, we sure. are wrong. We were wrong. But it is one of those things where it's like, you know, even books like, I don't know, I'm trying to think, Lord of the Flies, isn't that a bunch? Of, I've never read that book. I never got assigned it in school. It's for boys A bunch of boys. Only. If there's a bunch of boy characters, even if it's not a romance, I'm not automatically going to put that at the top of my list. And you didn't you didn't like One Last Stop. So I'm, I, I wonder if that also turned you away because, you know. It kind of know, did. Yeah. But I really liked One Last I didn't even realize it was the same author until I got the book um, this week on – I got the audio book which I have a lot of things to say about that. But um, I noticed author. I'm like, oh my gosh, I did not even, I've seen this book so many times. I really liked One Last Stop. And then I never connected that it was the same author. So that's on me. Yeah. What happened for me wanting to read this book was some um, some of the girls in my book club were like, oh, like we love this book. The Amazon Prime movie is coming out. Like let's, right. my friend Nikki was like, hey, like I'm gonna have a bunch of people over my house and we can watch it. And then I was like, okay, so I'll finally read it. And then I happened to find it in my little free library, which I feel like I just shout out my little free library all the time. Yeah. I have a minus. You guys have the best books. Every little free library I go to is either completely empty or diet books, uh, religious books. (laughs) Okay. I kind of don't want to say where my little free library is for the LA people. Don't, don't. I really want to gatekeep that. But, um, anyways, it's really good. Um, yeah, my parents so, are building a little free library. They they own a welding shop and they're working on building one out of metal. I will stock this because I want it to be good. So it's yes. good for me, part with some books, but also I mean, look, I not every book then. is great in the little free library. Sure, but sure. I got red, white, and royal blue, and just to go, let's jump to the chase. I really liked it. I really liked it. <laughs> well, okay, starting off, and I blame the audiobook for this to be honest, because the narrator, no disrespect to this man. Um, I'm sorry to this man, 
His voice is so not the vibe. Hard to listen um, to. Very hard to listen. It sounds like, okay, you're not on TikTok at the moment, but I don't know if you've seen it, maybe on Reels, but there's this TikTok trend right now where women will like prank their husbands with this voicemail that the creepy neighbor left them where it's like, I must have you and I will <laughs> I don't know what he says, but it's that was the voice this guy was giving me is like oh, kind of creepy got older guy. It sounded like at least thirty to forty years old. And these the main and characters are like twenty two. Yeah, and I think it, honestly he probably got the job because he could really do the Spanish stuff. He could do the British accents. Like his accent work was great, so I can't fault him for that. But, but just at first, everything and, else about his personality was right. Bad. And Alex honestly <laughs> is an insufferable character in a good way. But at the beginning, I was like, I honestly hate this person <laughs> because his voice is so annoying and his mm. personality is annoying. So I started off thinking I was going to hate this book, but. Then I switched to, I bought the Kindle. I gave up on the audio by halfway through. I switched to the ebook and I really started to like it. So I think it did have something to do with the voice, but also, I don't know, it won me over over time. So I really liked it too. Good. <laughs> I'm glad you did as well. Well, okay, let's back up. Yes. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have that are listening have at least some context for this book, but if you don't, sure. um, it's the book in your bookstore that has the pink cover and then the red, white, and royal blue and then two guys. Um, <laughs> it was published in May of 2019, <laughs> which I think is very important. This is why I mentioned it because this book centers around a fictional 2020 election, but not yeah. in a traumatic way. Please. This is not in a traumatic way. And it's basically in a healing way where I'm like, actually, can I go live in this world? Yeah. Where this is what happened in 2016 was was this world and then we we go on this path instead i yes. i don't know it's very non and i think i read in the end of the book um casey mcquiston said that um this book started being written in pre-2016 elections okay. <laughs> that wow. offers a lot of clarity as well <laughs> yeah it really does so this book centers like one of the main events of the book is the 2016 election Correct. um this is written by Casey McQuiston. We've gone on record disagreeing about their book, One Last Stop, um, yes. as we've mentioned, but we agree on this one. So the basic synopsis of Red, White, and Royal Blue is it is a romance story about Alex, the first son of the United States and son of the first female president, um, Ellen Claremont of Texas, and um, Prince Henry of Wales, <laughs> the... <laughs> Spare the second Very son. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Henry, yeah. Harry, Henry, 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 Harry, Henry. Yeah. Um, Alex is half Mexican and his mother, his mom is white. His dad is Mexican and he's also a senator. <laughs> yes. uh, and she's the first female president of the United States. She's, the, yeah, she's about <laughs> to run for reelection. She's progressive. She's, Breaking glass ceilings. She is doing it with a southern accent, and she is Texas, but she's Democrat. Yeah, amazing. And also, I just want to say, this to me is the biggest reach of this book. That oh. in, in 2016, after eight <laughs> okay. years of Barack Obama being president, that America decided to elect a divorced, <laughs> a divorced woman with Mexican kids with Mexican children. And everything was just fine. There's actually another bigger reach that we can get to later, um, um, even larger. We'll but, get to it. But this is like, there is no way. There I think it's around, no it, the size of it is so large, it's around 38 electoral <laughs> votes. <laughs> Some might say one of the largest states in America would be equivalent to this. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Anyways, so, um, I said, yeah, read Spare as a chaser to this book for a more realistic um, depiction on what the crown will and will not let you do. Oh, this was another huge reach. Like, yes. Uh, we're just not getting ahead of ourselves. Let's I know. Slow down. Let's continue the so, recap part. The recap part. So Henry and Alex are rivals, question mark. Henry is the heart heartthrob of, you know, England. Mm-hmm. And Alex is the first son of the United States who's 22 and cute and whatever. Trying to be in politics. Really into politics and stuff. And um, they have this, like, incident at uh prince philip who is like the equivalent of prince william so he's like the crown prince in every way actually (laughs) yeah and in all ways read spare go listen to our episode on spare please um this causes some bad pr for both entities and so they have to kind of fake this pr friendship um Mm -hmm. and then of course they fall in love (laughs) they fall in love but in the course of this friendship henry who knows he is gay Uh, He knows that falls for Alex and Alex discovers through the course of this book and the story of this book that he is bisexual. And he realizes that some of like his disdain and hatred and like confusing (laughs) feelings about Henry is actually interests (laughs) and that he's attracted to him. Um, And so they start hooking up and they're like, okay, I'm the first one in the United States. You are the Prince of England. So we have to keep this super casual. And for a while it's just hooking up. But then of course, they fell in love. It turns into love. Yes. Exactly. Um, so how will this cause problems for international relations and for Ellen Claremont's reelection campaign? Um, this is kind of the problem of the book. Yes. Will it come out? How will they handle this? Can Alex come out? Will then he force Henry to come out? And also his like grandma is the head of the Church of England. You know what I'm saying? So there's right. issues. Yes. And if we've learned anything from Spare, it's that... Um, this would never happen because ever. <laughs> ever all Harry wanted to do was fall in love with an American who is a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the idea that they would allow their spare to fall in love with a half Mexican American man is just, I just know that it would never, it would never go over. I mean, it would have to be a full abdication of the throne, which is not what happens in the end. In the end, it's kind of a somewhat happy ending where, you know, Great Britain rallies around this um, love story and the queen realizes the error of her ways. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the, but again, kind of nice. This is an ideal. (laughs) This is a, this is like, what we wish like there's so many things so this this is at the same time kind of as the stuff with um harry and megan this is also near the 2020 election we are going through this trauma whatever um yes this is like a rewriting of like what we the fan fiction version of our lives (laughs) yes it is fully a fan fiction version of life and i loved it i absolutely loved it and there's there's so many things i love i think um like, also, the side characters in this book are amazing. So I just want to spend a minute on them. Yeah. Um, so let's Alex, talk about them. Alex has a sister named June who's kind of, like, a great foil to Alex, I feel like, because she's kind of like, I don't know that I actually want this political life. And I she wants to be a journalist but is kind of unable to because – um, obviously conflict of interest, your mom being the president is going to make it really hard for you to get hired as a political journalist. She kind of encourages Alex to just be whoever he wants to be and not feel mm-hmm. like he has to be this perfect first son. Um, and then I loved Nora, their friend. She's the daughter of the vice- granddaughter, granddaughter. Yeah. Of the vice 
president and she is also bisexual so she helps alex kind of understand his identity and they at one time dated yes former relationship but they're not anymore they're just really good friends and the three of them are the white house three like they are this iconic trio of besties and it made me think this is why we need to get rid of old presidents and and sorry to joe biden i'm not interested in hunter at all i want some young smart serious you know sasha and malia they were too young i want a 20 something first son of the united states or first daughter we need this in america we need people to gossip about we need the the first family to be doing something that's not you know illegal activities just something fun to talk about so let's abolish old presidents just so we can make something like this happen and uh, that's my plea to uh, America. Let's elect some younger presidents with 20-something children. <laughs> For the content. For the content. <laughs> For content reasons. At the beginning of the book, Alex posts a picture of Prince Henry in his PJs. It's like the corner of his arm. And he posts that on Instagram. I mean, can you imagine? First of all, I know that wouldn't be allowed to happen because <laughs> there's no way. The pro- the palace is locking down that stuff. But I was like, I would lo- I would die. I would simply die if someone was posting this picture, you know? I know. So, we need I that. I feel like um, Jenna and her twin sister, if her name is, the Bush twins. Yeah. They were, that was before social true. media. Yeah. But they were yeah, around we were the right age, young. I guess. You're probably right. So yeah. let's go for that. Let's shoot for that. I'm not but even also, let's respect young. their privacy if they want it. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the other thing, too. They these This White House three that we're discussing, they want to be in the public eye. They want yeah. to, they, they're going on campaign events, actively working on the campaign. They are the ultimate Nepo babies, okay? They just mm-hmm. get jobs on this presidential campaign. Yeah, yeah. Alex, like, in the in this book, he was not even graduated from Georgetown yet. And he's like, I'm going to be, like, the head of your Texas strategy. Yes. <laughs> and it somehow works out. Which is, again, let's just jump to it. The actual biggest reach of this book is that the election comes down to the Texas, Texas vote. <laughs> and they got it. <laughs> and and Texas goes blue. Um, and uh, I said in my notes, this almost broke me. I literally cried when Texas went blue because <laughs> it's so, like, optimistic, but not going to happen. Um, and it's kind of sad. <laughs> but in 2019, this was... It was that real. was the conversation about Texas going blue. And there has been a ton of work on sure. to that end in Texas. So like, keep up the good work. I right. like, but it, this is dripping in 2019 yes. and 2018. Like yes. when this book was going through editing and getting yes. ready for publishing, there was a lot of hope and aspiration that sure. Texas would go blue. Right. Um, but I mean, the, that's fine because like, it's probably, you know, people are doing great work to change the politics of Texas and the electoral structure there. But, like, the idea that a 21-year-old son of a president, Nepo baby, is going to come up with the strategy that within... By right. the way, at the beginning of the movie, which I have a lot of thoughts about that movie, but we'll get to the- <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to the movie later. In the movie, they're like, with 14 months until the election, we're going to see maybe how this campaign's going to start to unfold what 14 months away and they're not even a thought about the campaign (laughs) right this is again a different world that is different and uh better maybe so i would be interested to see if they had if casey had a um a political consultant or Mm. somebody consulting on the writing of this book um i'm gonna guess not (laughs) 
that would be I mean, I don't think it was totally off, but I mean No, but it's it like also, a fake world. So that's the thing. It's, it's a, fake a fake world. world. And p- honestly, look, the people who are reading this book are not reading it for the political no, accuracy. Neither should we. So Yeah, it's fine. They get together. Yeah. And they decide, okay, we're gonna do this. And his his mom, so Alex has to come out to his mom, um, the president. But she was super supportive and awesome, which was great. And then she's like, okay, you need to figure out if you feel forever about him because this relationship will define your life. Yeah. And then he kind of spends. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to support you. And no matter what, you know, if you want to go forward with this, no matter what it does to my campaign, I'm still going to support you. But for you and for your sake, you have to realize that what you're doing, you know, it's not a perfect world, even though this is a better world we're reading. It's not a perfect world. So it is going to define your life and not only being out, but also <laughs> your boyfriend being the Prince of England. So I thought right. that was great advice. Like, hey, don't rush into this. Take your time and find out. Do you feel forever about him? And if so, we'll go. We'll do whatever we have to do. And if not, then that's okay, too. Yeah, I think the other thing... And I've noticed this recently because I read another book recently that the main characters were college students. Mm. And I kind of felt that a little bit with this book that now that I'm a few years older than the main characters. Yeah. I'm also thinking this of this through the lens of them being 22. Right. And are they, I mean, not that, not that 22 is not old enough to know if you're in love. I totally think that it is. Sure. But just that's a huge decision. And you're kind of locking yourself into like being forever with this person. Yeah. When they come out as a couple, I mean, that's basically it. You can't really break up. Yeah. Right. Like could, could they break up? Do you think like, how would that go if they event, like they dated for like a year? You know what I'm saying? I almost wish that they had just been a little older. I I kind of understand. I think Alex being still in college, I just had to have a reason to live at the white house. Yeah. So I kind of understand, but I just wish they were a little older. Cause I feel like it kind of, I know you can be in love, but maybe like slow down a little bit because you are really young still. And if they were not famous and yeah. like, he realized he was bi, they started dating yeah. at 22, then they probably would date for three or four years before deciding to like get married or something. Yes. But in this, because of their situations, they basically have to make the decision, are we going to be together forever or not? <laughs> because the implications of them breaking up for like international relations and like the global economy exactly um, matter a lot. So yeah. <laughs> when they just, dis- I mean, and actually, so... But I'm kind of wrong. They actually didn't decide to come out as in a relationship. They were outed. Yes. Which this is a plot line because you have a question in here about pacing. This plot line to me probably could have been cut and it maybe would have been fine. There's okay. So the, the other evil guy running against his mom, Alex's mom for president in 2020 is this guy, Senator Richards. And it eventually photos of Alex and Henry are leaked of them kissing in the back of a car and their emails are also leaked, which I would love to talk more about the emails. But oh, we will get to the, we will get to the emails. Okay. So they're, they're leaked and, um, basically within, and this, this plotline was cut in the movie, which I thought made a lot of sense. It was too complicated probably to movieify yeah. it. Um, but anyways, the, I didn't love how, the, anyways, we can talk about the movie at the end. So, um, then this other senator who's working as a triple double agent in the campaign, the Republican campaign, he leaks to Nora, the friend, 
all this cachet of emails that is proving that the Richards campaign set up Henry and Alex to purposely out them. And they were the ones who leaked this. Um, and then, so then the press gets the, the emails about the campaign being evil and in on this. And that kind of helps, um, and Alex's mom, sorry, won the election. So uh, it's kind of a whole complicated plot line. But yes, they are eventually forcibly outed by this. Yeah, leak. I would say I would agree about there was a kind of it was, in some ways it was doing a little too much. There was this this Senator Luna, Senator Luna, who um, Alex worked on his campaign and then and he was also like, openly gay. And super progressive in Colorado. And then he decides to be the VP candidate for the Republican nominee. And then everyone's like, what? And then he was like, I mean, okay. For your campaign had had dirt on him. So he had to go, but then he was going to be a double agent. It was too much, a little bit too much. I think for your political career, that does not make any sense to me. No, I'm sitting here thinking I am having to do gymnastics to figure out if him working, him agreeing to be the running mate on a Republican campaign makes any sense for him politically, and it doesn't. And it also doesn't really make sense. Again, this is a fake world. In today's world, um, this would tank the Republican candidate. They would not want totally. an openly gay progressive senator as their VP. Well, even when this book was written, that would not... Yeah, so... A, a gay Mexican Yes. <laughs> Democrat. His, his parents are undocumented. It's this a little will, There's no way, but maybe that's maybe. why Texas went blue. <laughs> yeah. They're like, heck no. <laughs> but anyways, I... Yeah, um, that plot line, I thought, that kind of threw off the pacing uh, just a little bit, but... It, it it there I guess there had to be a way for them to be forcibly outed because it kind of forces the the conflict to come to a, a head in this book. But I mean, they were forcibly outed, but they still could have made the decision not to move forward with the public relationship. They could have just played it down or said, "Oh, this was edited images," or like yeah, you could deny it. Exactly. But they they still decided to move forward as no, we are in a partnership. Yeah, and so. To me, I'm like, I would love to see like a, an epilogue or like a set, like, you know, like a, a little novella, yeah. like revisiting. What is this like in a few years? Yes. Are you guys still really into this? Cause really, you haven't been dating that long. I mean, yes. I love this book, but as a critique, it just seems like a lot of pressure yes. to put on these two guys, one of whom wants to be the youngest person elected to Congress, <laughs> the other of whom is imprisoned in this archaic, Royal yeah, like family how does this structure work out? at the end henry buys a brownstone in brooklyn and he's like mm-hmm. i'll come live there and and alex is like maybe i'll go to law school in reality uh, yeah there's no way I, again after reading spare henry would have had to fully abdicate just as Her- prince harry has done he would have to leave the royal he would family. have to completely leave they would not allow this to happen they they w- didn't let harry do this this was basically what harry wanted to do was continue to serve the royal family but live in canada that was his proposed plan again go listen to our episode on not Spare. even the u.s canada not even the u.s yes yeah. or another like, part of the commonwealth yes another commonwealth country like australia or something they said no they have a lot of stuff they have to do. It is a full schedule. They're not just allowed to go chill in New York, you know, even him not being the king. So again, this is a fake world, but he would have had to give up his titles and the money and the protection. And he would have had to do what Harry has done and just completely go away. 
And then we would have gotten the Prince Henry version of Spare. Yes. And that would be so delicious. Casey, write that book. <laughs> Casey, that would be great. That would be You should amazing. write that write as Spare like an accessory. Write Prince Henry's POV. <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> I'm begging you. Oh my God, that's so good. But I yeah, I would love to know. There oh, I'm that. sure there is. Or you should write it. Um. Anyways, I think, again, I too would like a follow-up because... I don't, I don't see how this is going to really work out in reality with the commitments that Henry would have with Alex going to law school, which I do hear is incredibly time consuming. How does a relationship make the it? pressures? I mean, yeah, they are with the press pressure and exactly. all that. I mean, they're really in, in a realistic world. This would be a very them. hard and your brain isn't fully developed. You yeah. Know? Like you're 21. <laughs> right. So- so, anyways, but, but this is not the real world. Yeah, Texas is, went blue. So. <laughs> there's a woman president. It's a woman president. She's divorced <laughs> and has Mexican kids. So. And they all have Thanksgiving together. And it's cool with the American public. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> so, speaking of... So, we, we started kind of this tangent because we we're talking about, okay, they got outed. Their emails got leaked. Let's talk a little bit about their emails because this was one of my favorite things about the book was yes. that... She t- there's uh, there's multiple parts of the book where Casey um, writes their story via emails and text messages, and it's really funny. Yes, I, and I tabbed a couple places. Oh, I love that. Um, Good. So, uh, for instance, this is one one of the first emails. Um, or sorry, the first line of one of the emails is from Henry to Alex, and he goes, "Alex, first son of masturbatory historical readings." The phrase "see attached bibliography" is the single sexiest thing you've ever written to me. Yes, <laughs> so funny. The banter but- is great. I thought, and I will say that about both one last stop and this book. I think Casey is really good at flirty banter, great conversations. I think that's definitely one of their strengths. So um, it it comes through in these emails, which are very adorable and have you like kicking your feet, giggling while you're reading. (laughs) Yes. It's so cute. And I will say one of the unexpected surprise treats of this book is that they kind of have, so Henry and Alex kind of have this cute little inside joke where at the end of their emails, they sign or they do like a PS with a quote from like a letter or a writing from a historical character who maybe did something kind of gay. Yeah. Like real people, (laughs) real Real people people, like, like Alexander Alexander Hamilton, Hamilton, John Lawrence. (laughs) Yes. Okay. He loved his wife for sure, but that doesn't mean he didn't also love John Lawrence because they sent some pretty gay things back and forth to each other. There's also, um, one of my favorites that I tabbed here as an addendum to one of the emails was from Eleanor Roosevelt to Lorena Hickok And she says, I miss you greatly, dear. The nicest time of day is when I write to you. You have a stormier time than I do, but I miss you as much as I think. As much I think. Please keep most of your heart in Washington as long as I'm here for most of mine is with you. And they were roommates. (laughs) Yeah, because the thing about this, which I thought was really interesting, and the thing about Henry especially, and Alex too, they both really think about their place in history and how people are going to look back on them. Exactly. There were definitely a hundred percent queer people in history who were not able to. I think Alex is a really good representation of that because he's like, "What? I fooled around with my friend in high school, but I'm definitely straight." And you're like, "Yeah, no." <laughs> but I think when you don't necessarily have the 
the context for what you're feeling or the language or the ability to express yourself in any way. Like, it makes sense that you have these romantic writings that are just between buddies. And it's like, maybe maybe you felt something more, but you didn't know or have the words or have the ability to describe that. So I think it's really interesting because Henry will be like, you know, this old guy in the royal family and, you know, just kind of looking back on history and thinking how people are going to look back on them. Queer people have always existed. Exactly, yeah. And that the history is not told. Yeah. And so this reaction that we see now of like, all of a sudden people are trans or all of a sudden people are gay. In my day, people were just straight. It's like they weren't, but their stories weren't told. Yeah. And they, it, was, it wasn't safe for them. You about it, yeah. Yeah, but gay people and trans people have always existed. Exactly, And yeah. um, I liked... You know, I think we often talk about fiction books that also teach us something. Yeah. And I think this was a great example of um, showing that without telling it. This wasn't like an essay on queer history. No. But it really made sense where it was sprinkled in. Yeah. Um, in context to the story. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I totally agree. It was like, oh, that's nice to learn about historical something or I don't know. Yeah. But it wasn't like this is a lecture and I'm annoyed. <laughs> yes. So it was really good. One other thing we have to talk about for the, for the emails is part of the controversy when their emails were leaked was that, um, Alex sent them like from his home at the white house, the residence on like a white house, they're on a white house server, but it's for like personal use right. of the people who live there. And, there was like this funny like line, like a little wink wink at the audience where Casey says, who would think that email servers could really influence a presidential election? Yeah, no, literally the the, <laughs> the page where the first email appeared when I first saw the first email, I was filled with dread. I'm like, this is going to haunt you. You do not need to put this stuff in writing, at least contain some plausible deniability like flirt, but like, don't make it so obvious because these are going to be leaked. And I was proven right. So just, I don't know why. I don't know why you would do this because Please you're 21. From fake email addresses. Please use aliases. Use code names. Yes. Have a you secret language. You guys are both language. too smart for this. Oh my god. Yes. Uh, anyways, it was horrifying. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Movie. Movie. Um, okay. So we both watched it last night. Um, yes. I found this article that I will link in the show notes that this is the quote I pulled from it. This movie definitely exists within an unholy Venn diagram alongside the Netflix Christmas universe. And that sums up all my thoughts. This skate was giving Netflix Christmas movie in a good way, but also in a bad way. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I, I watched the trailer for this movie before I saw it. And that the trailer was, this is going to suck. This book was so good. And um, I think going into it with really low expectations Absolutely. set me up for success because I was pleasantly surprised. Although, I here's my thing. I think that it was as good as it could have been for the budget it had. Yeah. This is clearly a low budget movie, especially there's one scene where they walk out and they're going to be like in front of a crowd, <laughs> but they never show the crowd. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you guys couldn't pay the extras. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Um, a lot of, uh, laugh out loud moments that aren't supposed to be funny, but, uh, overall I, I did like it. It, It's, and I've seen a lot of people on Twitter be like, yeah, like 
LGBTQ plus community deserves like terrible rom-coms too. And and that's what this is. It is a terrible yeah. rom-com, but I still love terrible rom-coms. So what's the problem? Yeah. So they, they made a few choices in the movie. Um, they decided to cut out uh, June. Which was sad. Um, it, I was sad about that, but I also I understand. understood. But also, if you're going to cut out June, I don't know. It's always hard. This book, it does have a lot of plot lines. And I think it would have been better served in a series because a limited series. I was thinking the same thing. Because there's so many, like, they, like Nora is still in it, but she's completely reduced to, like, nothing. Very sanitized. Whereas in the book, she, I mean, she really is the one who comes up with this, she gets this email hack information and... Like, she's super interesting, compelling character. And in this, she's just, like, there occasionally. They didn't have the time. No, they didn't. So, and, and they had to cut out Raf- <laughs> Yeah. And they cut out Raphael Luna, um, the, the senator. Like, they totally took that out and made, instead, they combined the um, reporting aspect of June, like the yeah. journalistic yeah. ambitions, with weird backhandedness of Raphael, yeah. Uh, Senator Luna. And they made it into this weird, like antagonistic gay journalist. Yes. I didn't like that. <laughs> That's what I would say. I did I, not I, like that change. Um I I understood I don't know, it just made him seem like a spiteful maybe he was, but it just made him seem like a bad journalist and this and it was weird. It's like Alex, you shouldn't be talking to the journalist. Like you should know a, like, you should be smart enough to know that nothing you're saying to him is off the record. That's not how that works, you know? Like, you're right. the son of the president. <laughs> He's going to quote you on this. I don't know. He just seemed so annoying and spiteful <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. So, that, I, I mean, love that. that wasn't super well earned, yeah. I guess. Um, but I see, I see what, what they, they were trying, trying to do. To again. Um, and then also another interesting thing. And in, so in the book, which, again, was published in, in 2019, um, the queen, a queen is the head of the royal family, not Queen Elizabeth, because like Queen Mary or something. Everyone's changed yeah. a little bit. But in the movie, it is a king. And I was thinking, okay, they probably made the decision to do a king after the death of Queen Elizabeth because they didn't That's want true, to probably. draw yeah. too much connection. Um, no, that so that was sense. another change. Um, also, the parents weren't divorced in this, which I'm like, yeah. I guess makes more sense. to If you're going to have a woman president, like maybe don't make her also divorced. I think they didn't have time to explain but, the dynamics yes. of the divorce. But I did movie. like how they still worked because there's a line um, that I really liked in the book and they kept in the movie where the dad says, sometimes you just have to jump and hope you're not standing on the edge of a cliff. And I liked how they still fu- – because in the, in the book, you know, he's like, obviously we didn't work out, but like I still loved her. Like she still loved my life, your mom, and like I'm never going to love someone mm-hmm. like that again. But in the book, he's like – or in the movie, he's like, yeah, we were just kids. We didn't know what we were doing, and it worked out. I like how they kept that. They had – so, yeah, something they had time to explain more in the yeah. book, but couldn't be really explained in the movie. So yeah. forgivable, in my opinion. The worst part to me – and I don't know, like, as I'm watching this, it was already two hours long. So I don't know how they could have done it better. Um, and there was already 30 minutes of the movie before they first kissed. But I felt like in the book – they really built up a very genuine friendship first. And yes. it spent a lot of time of like Alex realizing like I have never really made friends. I don't really I just have this these people, my sister and this other girl I'm forced to hang out with because of our parents' jobs. And mm-hmm. like I've never made a lot of friends. You know, he had a a friend in high school who he had been making out with when he was in high school and who was a male. Mm-hmm. And he kind of had this whole thing of like 
wow, I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize what that was. And I probably wasn't a good friend. And really beautiful story of Alex, like becoming a better person. And I just felt like it's hard because I don't know how you fit that into this movie. But I wish there was a little more of that. I think it would have made it feel a little less fan fiction-y because the movie really felt mm. like fan fiction. <laughs> because it's like, yeah. oh, we're just making out now. But in the books, they really yeah. built up this like really lovely friendship first. And I thought that was, I don't know, it just made it a little nicer. Yeah. I So I, I agree. I think the movie, whenever they kiss, you're kind of like, what? Yeah. Because it's a little bit unearned. Yeah. They start communicating and like hanging out due to forced proximity. And then they're like, Oh wait, you're not that bad. We see a little bit of that in the movie, but I wouldn't. So I guess what I would encourage people, I mean, I know we basically just spoiled the whole book, <laughs> but like if you had to pick one, I would read the book Absolutely, first yeah. or I would read the book also. Um, I don't think you'll understand the, the love and the adoration around the story unless you read the book. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, like there's a lot more buildup. And then even like whenever they first start like hooking up, you know, it's, it's basically just that, yeah. you know, and then there's like this buildup yes. to like, Oh, I'm actually having yes. real feelings for you. And that feels like another section of the yeah, story where exactly, which I actually really appreciate because I think sometimes in romance novels, which I read a lot of, yes. sometimes it's just like instant and you're like, <sighs> Is it? Yeah. Can it really? It makes more sense that like they have their yeah. their rival part, then their friendship part, then their sexual part, and then it's like oh, wait, love. I love yeah, you. yeah. I do feel like it's um, hard to convey that in a movie that you know there's a lot of other parts going on. So there's a lot you have to cut out. So I agree. I definitely think read the book and then watch the movie, and it, it'll be fun. It's a fun like again if you like a Hallmark Christmas movie or the Netflix Christmas universe as I do, I think you'll really like this movie because it's like yeah, you will. I mean, it, just no thought in your brain, you know. It's not going to be movie of the year, but yeah. Whatever. Um, one other thing we have to talk about is so Uma Thurman is like oddly like the highest like the most famous person yes. or whatever like on the, and she does a southern. She's the president. Yes. Her southern accent it's tough. is truly, truly bad. As someone who is from, as people who are from the South. Yes, it is terrible. And it is really bad. It's And there's funny. no way she would get elected with that accent. No, you got to tone it down a little, Uma, you know? You have people to. People with southern accents are mostly able to also reel it in a little bit when they're in a professional situation, but she does not do that at all. <laughs> it is. Like, I was thinking, okay, bad. George Bush is from Texas. Like, he had a bit yeah, of a Texas sure. accent. I'm like, she should have emulated that a little yes. bit more. Yes. Just a little, you know, little clean it up. Clean it up, Uma. <laughs> um, but it was okay. Funny. One they other have thing. to really prove to you that she's from Texas. That's really a point. Um, <laughs> One other thing that I have to mention, Please. because as I'm watching this with friends last night, like, we're kind of talking this out. Like, who do these characters remind us of? So Nicholas um, Galitzine, I'm so sorry if that's not how you pronounce his last name, is who plays Prince Henry. Mm-hmm. We're like, who does he look like? Who does he look like? And I know who he looks like. Who? An adult version of Prince George. He does. He needs to play him in the biopic once he grows up. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? No, he does. Because he looks a little too like a young Prince William. So that tracks. But he looks exactly like an old Prince George. He looks exactly like an old mm-hmm. Prince George. And then we're like, okay, who does Taylor Zakar Perez look mm-hmm. like? Who plays yeah. Alex? 
And I'm like, who does he look like? Who does he look like? And then uh, my friend Lexi, who's at the thing last night, she goes, he looks like a younger, hotter version of Justin Trudeau. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I was like, this is so correct. Yes. Wow. Um, I know, yeah. right? If you, so if you haven't seen the cast list, go check them out. Take that, take that picture in your brain that we just painted and then go tell us if we're Yes. Right. Yes. Also, the guy playing Prince Philip looked like the biggest, like, baby. <laughs> like, he was the weirdest looking little guy. <laughs> just, it's kind of perfect. Like, that's, that is who was going to be the king, the weirdest looking little guy in the room, you know? <laughs> yeah. We didn't talk a lot about Prince Philip, but in the book, he's very like, both him and, and Princess B played a much bigger role in the book as well. Um, his yeah, Princess sister, B is his sister. Um, I was sad also what they did to her. They made her just this like lady. <laughs> yeah, but she's actually like cool yeah. in the book. Like, but um, Prince Philip is like very like traditionalist. Like you just need to sacrifice everything for the crown. It's very it's giving spare. <sighs> it's giving spare. Go read that if you re- if you like red, white, and royal blue. What we really need to do is like not us, but like bookstores. They should do like a royal family starter pack. I should be like this yeah. book and spare and like I'm trying to think. There's no like another one um, that we talked about not that long ago. I don't know. Maybe like some Regency era books. Like throw like sprinkle those in there. Yeah. But really, I could not stop thinking about spare watching this book. It's not obviously. It is an added layer. It is definitely an added layer. But it's also like very similar to what Harry went through. With just Megan, you know, like just the you have to sacrifice everything for the crown and you can't be your own person. And like Henry talks about in the book, he wants to like write. He doesn't want to do the military stuff. He doesn't like want to live this life. <laughs> like he's like, what would it be like if I was just normal? I feel like that's very hairy. Like he wanted to like go be a tour guide in Botswana, but like they made him join the right. Military. He wanted to work at like a <laughs> ski hut. <laughs> So, anyways, if you liked this, I think you'll like Spare, too. Yeah, agree. <laughs> Anything else to say? Nothing. I just, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised. I did not think I would like this book as much as I did. Especially at the beginning. I was like, oh my god. Alex really does start off as an insufferable person. Just so full of himself. So annoying. <laughs> but he grows on you. So And he changes for the better. Yeah. Like, falling in love with Henry helps him change for the better. So, I thought it was really good. Yeah, and I think big takeaway... I need to be open to more like male male yeah, romances I because I have liked I them. So yeah. let's keep going. Yeah. Send us your recommendations. I was wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. Um, all right. So that's our conversation about red, white and Royal blue. Emily, what's a book you read recently? Okay. I just finished this book yesterday as well. I went on a rampage, um, but it's called the last one left by Riley Sager. Or the only one left. Sorry, I was pulling that up. The only one left by Riley Sager. It Ooh. is so creepy, so good. It basically follows this woman. She is a caregiver for old people. And um, I can never remember the main character's names, y'all know. So <laughs> pretend I said her name just now um, while I look for it. <laughs> and anyways... Kit, Kit. Okay. Kit McDeer, she is a caregiver and her last patient died and she was under investigation, cleared of any wrongdoing. But now, you know, the, the agency she works for has to take her back. Um, but they don't really want to. So they send her to this assignment. They're like, this is your only choice. You have to take mm-hmm. this assignment or we're firing you basically. 
And she goes to this super mansion up on this big hill on the cliffs, they call it, where like the one percenters live. And living there is Lenora Hope, who was accused of killing her entire family when she was 17. And she's the only survivor. All of her family was murdered. And no one knows what happened. The case is still unsolved. They didn't have enough to convict her, but it's like, well, you're the only one left. Mm. So, but they didn't have any witnesses. They didn't have a murder weapon. They didn't have any proof. So they never convicted her. But she has been basically a recluse and unseen since that day. And she's now really old. She's like late 60s, but she's had multiple strokes. She's confined to a wheelchair. She can't speak. She can only use her left hand. And she tells Kit, I want to tell you everything. She types it out on her little on her um she has a typewriter and she starts to type the story of what happened that night and so like you slowly get these reveals there's like other staff in the house the house Mm -hmm. is leaning off the side of the cliff and like one day it's gonna fall off so it's like kind of tilted so she's like always stumbling through the halls it was so good i'll say like i thought i had guessed the twist um but then i i kind of did but then it was like whoa no what? oh that's and then great. there was like another twist and then there was another twist it was crazy so it was really good i literally read it all yesterday in one day i couldn't like stop reading it and it's pretty quick to get through it like it's not super long and the pacing's really fast like it's just goes it's so good very creepy but not like i don't like like ghosts or paranormal so it's not too much of that it's more like just like suspenseful so i think yeah, it's really cool. Good. I love. I like that. I've actually been thinking. Oh man, it's like mid-August I now. I should probably start reading some books so that we can talk about them for our spooky season. Exactly. This year. Exactly. So that should <laughs> so, be okay. on there. And now I'm reading a bunch. I put a bunch more Riley Saker on hold because it seems like I just really liked him as an author. So he has a bunch more like creepy kind of books. So I would say check them out. Cool. All right. What about good you? recommendation? Yeah. So I recently read The Celebrants by Stephen Rowley. Um, Stephen Rowley is the author of Lily and the Octopus, the editor, and The Gunkle, most famously. Um, so I've read Lily and the Octopus and The Gunkle, loved both of them. And so I was like, okay, gotta, gotta check out The Celebrants. Um, so, oh, okay. <laughs> Read it with a box of tissues. This is the story of a group of college friends, and there's six of them until um, the you know the very beginning of the book. One of their friends in college, right before they graduate, um, dies, and they are all at his funeral. They're at this like family. They're one of the one of the members of the group. Their family house at Big Sur, and they're like, you know, let's make a pact that. We'll all give each other, like, at any time we can invoke a funeral for ourselves while we're still alive so that we know that it'll be a chance for us to get together when we need it. And we know that um, our friends love us and we can be reminded of, like, the impact we have on them because we never got the chance to say this to Alec before he passed away. He died so young. And so this group is kind of like, they don't stick together really, but, like, they kind of are all over the country, but like years later, somebody finally invokes the pact and then they all start kind of invoking the pact. Um, one of the central characters, there's two central characters. Um, they're called the Jordans, their husbands and, um, Jordan, uh, it's revealed very early in the book. So this is not a spoiler. This is a central part of the story. He is, um, 
diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so it's kind of like we're jumping back in time and to the present day where Jordan is actually, you know, getting ready. He's experiencing the end of his life. And we're jumping back at these like pre-funerals for different people in the group when they go through big things in their life and they like need a reset. Like we're all going to get together and have your funeral. Um, and it's just lovely. So Steve, I, we've said this before, but Stephen Rowley writes about grief in such so good, a, like such an amazing it's way. So good. It's just, and he writes about it in a way that's not just like, oh, I hate everything. I'm yeah, so sad. I'm like, like beautiful. go cry. Yeah. It's so reflective and so lovely. And, um, there's humor and there's excitement. And, you know, one nice thing about this book is that it is kind of broken up. Like it'll mm-hmm. be like, okay, here's, you know, this happened in 2016. This is one of the funerals. Okay. And then we jump, oh, this is in 2018. Um, so it, it, that's kind of nice. Like it's just kind of broken up. Yeah. Um, and you get to follow all the characters and like how their lives shake out. Um, it, it makes you think about like those kind of friendships that you have where even if you don't keep up every day, like it's, you know, you see your friend after like months or years, you're like, Oh, it's like no, no time has passed. Mm-hmm. Like those kind of soul tie relationships. Um, I will say like the gunkle is <laughs> definitely like lighter and funnier. <laughs> this is <laughs> definitely sadder. Yeah. Uh, it's about, you know, six Death. people's living funerals, yeah. but, um, but it's really nice and I love it. And, um, I did a little research. I was like, Oh, what's Stephen Riley up to? And I saw that, um, I can't actually remember if it's he or his husband, but have lived through two cancer diagnoses. So that his personal experience has informed this book. Um, so he's really great at putting himself into it in like a really genuine way that doesn't feel like you're really striving for it. Um, so it's great. I, yeah, I put this on hold. You text me about it and just you talking about it makes me want to cry. So yeah. I can't wait. It'll be like five months from now before Libby brings it to me, but I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you need an upper, don't read this book, yeah. <laughs> but seasonal depression book. Here we go. Yeah. If you want to be like reflective and like wistful about the meaning of life, this would be a good book for you. <laughs> great. <laughs> All right. All right. See y'all next time. All right. Bye. bye. <laughs> See you with-